Welcome to the Living Intentionally Podcast. Living Intentionally Podcasts are intended to help you make informed decisions that enable you to improve your health and well-being. When we're armed with accurate information, we're in an excellent position to take full responsibility for our experience, both emotionally and physically. And welcome to the Living Intentionally Podcast. This is podcast number seven. And uh, welcome to 2016, everybody. This is January. We're just nine days into the year now. And uh, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Did you make any New Year's resolutions? What I'd like to talk to you all about today is the importance of a healthful diet. When I was in my teens in the mid-1970s or late 1970s, it was actually a very rare thing for anybody in my sphere to be considerably overweight. Obesity, clinical obesity, was just not something that was really a common thing to see. Over the last 40 years, we've really, really seen a tremendous increase in weight conditions, obesity, and, you know, It's not just a problem for a specific age group or a specific sex. You've got kids who are, you know, 18 months old and who are overweight, obese, and suffering tremendous health issues as a consequence of that. And this is a very, very serious issue. Not too long ago, I had a conversation with a very, very good friend of mine, Stephen M. Brown, who runs a website called post.modern.diet. Postmodern Diet is a very, very useful resource for information on how to lose weight and to how to keep it off. And the most important thing about postmodern diet is that rather than focusing on any kind of a particular dietary fad, this is all about understanding the nuts and bolts of what makes metabolism work. And when you understand what really drives your metabolism, where the metabolic pathways are and what goes where and and when it goes where it goes, then you can really make wonderfully informed decisions and create your own ideal diet. So if you're struggling with a weight issue, I strongly encourage you to hang in here and have a listen to all the stuff that we're going to share. First off, I'd like to uh, just kind of dive in and have him discuss his own personal aha moment when he realized that what he thought was the way to do things wasn't exactly getting what he expected. I was doing all of the right things, and I say right things in air quotes. I was doing all the right things about diet. I would read the magazine articles and that say, you know, we should eat whole grains and we should eat our yogurt or whatever it happens to be, the new superfood out there. And despite all that, I was steadily gaining weight. How heavy did you get? Actually, not to the point of being considered medically obese. Um, 
I, I guess at my peak, I was about uh, 89 kilograms, whatever that is in pounds. That's getting close to 200 pounds. And uh, so the big thing for me is I've always been self-conscious about my appearance. I, wa- I always wanted to look my best. But on top of that, I was noticing aging in my skin. Everybody gets wrinkles, right? And I was in my mid-40s, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm becoming Clint Eastwood. I wasn't happy with that. Everybody says that when you reach your mid-40s, that's when things spiral downward. Yeah, the old body starts to fall apart. Yeah, and, you know, it's everything from eyes deteriorating to your skin deteriorating to your bones, whatever. I did not like that situation one little bit. In that era of his life, that would not be the only aha moment that Stephen had. In the next section, he describes how during a trip to Thailand, despite being incredibly active, he still managed to gain weight. We spent almost a week in Thailand, and we walked everywhere. We stuck to three square meals a day, no in-between meal snacking or anything. We had a couple of beers in the evening. With all that walking, I was looking forward to getting on the scale when I got back to Japan. Actually, it was at that time that I got on the scale and found that I was 89, well, I was 88 or 89 kilos, I can't remember, but I had actually gained a, a whole kilogram in that one week in Thailand. After returning from Thailand and discovering that he'd actually gained weight during his trip, Stephen started looking into possible solutions to the problem. Of course, like many of us, he looked into possible diets. Now, Stephen is an intelligent character, and so he's pretty skeptical about the promises from most diets, and he is very, very much aware that not every diet under the sun is going to be healthful. On the suggestion of a friend, he looked into the Atkins diet, and he decided to try it out. Uh, He saw his first weight loss within three days. He stayed with the program for six full months, And he went down to 75 or so. And so you can do really amazing things with that diet. But it's not going to be the be-all and end-all. And it's probably not what you want to be on for the rest of your days. I'll let Stephen explain further. You're not actually following... Uh, the Atkins diet anymore, are you? You're you're eating a low-carbohydrate, moderate-protein diet, right? It depends on what you mean by low-carbohydrate. So there's the people out here that say, you know, that they're on ketogenic diet for life. Well, that's a fallacy. None of these people can sustain a ketogenic diet for life. I don't know whether that needs explaining, but... uh, Well, what is a ketogenic diet? One of the effects of fasting we'll talk about fasting, is that your body has to internalize its energy resources. In other words, you don't have energy coming in from your food intake, so you now have to resort to getting your energy to live from your energy stores within the body. And the primary store of energy is going to be glycogen, which is essentially starch, and there's only about a kilogram of starch in your body half of that in the liver. 
And if you do the math on that, that's going to be roughly 4,000 kilocalories of energy stored. So you're going to deplete that. If you're fasting, you're going to deplete that glycogen in about two to three days. Right. And it's no coincidence that I didn't start losing weight until the third day. Right. So those first few days of your initial Atkins experience, you were basically just living off glycogen stores. Uh, For energy, yes. Right. Now, on day three, or when the glycogen runs out, now it's like flipping a switch. Your body goes into fat-burning mode. Mm -hmm. We all know about high insulin causing your body to store fat. Well, there's an opposite hormone uh, also coming from the pancreas called uh, glucagon. And that actually puts the brakes on insulin and causes your body to kick into fat-burning mode. One of the communications of of, uh, glucagon is to tell your cells not to store fat, but to dump it instead. It's basically your your fat cells are squirting uh, lipids into the bloodstream. Okay. What happens to the lipids once they get to the bloodstream? I mean, how do you actually burn fat as energy? So on the cellular level, you have the mitochondria. The mitochondria is the, is the actual furnace that does the burning. It creates the heat in our bodies. And uh, it can either take glucose or fat and convert it into adenosine triphosphate or ATP which is the, uh, it's commonly referred to as the currency of energy in the body. It's a cellular currency of energy. Okay, so your cells are basically well-equipped to use either glycogen or fat, just equally able to use that as energy. Right, and that brings me to the original question about ketogenic diet, because while you're dumping off fat into the bloodstream, Um, Your liver is doing two things. For one, it's manufacturing glucose from the fats. This is called gluconeogenesis. And that's, uh, that's basically to stabilize your blood sugar while you're fasting. And the other thing is it's producing something called ketone bodies. Now, ketone bodies are actually three chemicals, one of them which is acetone, believe it or not, and... These can also be used on the cellular level for energy. And in particular, fat cannot cross the blood-brain barrier. So when we are feasting, if you like, our brain is consuming almost uh, glucose almost exclusively. When you are fasting, your brain will continue to use glucose, but it will also use ketone bodies for energy. Interesting. So this is considered a supplementary form of energy. So where do we go from a ketogenic diet, which you say cannot be maintained on the long term, to something that is sustainable over the long term? So essentially, if you're going on a low-carbohydrate diet, um, because of the switch that flips, where you're going from sugar-burning mode into fat-burning mode, you're essentially tricking your body into thinking that you're fasting. And that, first of all, is not what we evolved to do. Certainly we go through periods of fasting, but we don't do that 
Um, the, the real problem with being ketogenic all the time is that you're not going to get enough of the nutrients from um, vegetables and fruits, which all contain carbohydrates. In order to be ketogenic, you would have to get your carbohydrate load down to about 60 grams a day if you listen to Atkins. And that, uh, that I found from experience is pretty much on the mark. If you, get your, if you go below 60 grams a day of carbohydrates, then you will be ketogenic, which is to say that your, your liver will be producing ketone bodies. If you're only getting 60 grams of carbohydrates a day, you're not getting enough fruit and vegetables in your diet. It's plain and simple. Right. Now, the issue here that I think is significant for everybody is the whole concept of not all of your carbohydrate calories are created equal because, you know, I know for a fact these days that the number one source of calories for North Americans is high fructose corn syrup and that is a heavy carbohydrate load uh, on top of any proper dietary intake of fruits and vegetables that you may be taking at the same time. Okay so let's look at where is this uh, high fructose corn syrup coming from in the first place? Well I think the the majority of it comes from people sitting down and drinking a lot of uh, you know soft drinks uh, soda pop and the like but you know these days, high fructose corn syrup shows up everywhere. Yeah, pretty much any processed food that you buy has high fructose corn syrup in one to to one degree or another. Okay, so let's let's compare high fructose corn syrup with sucrose, which is table sugar. Okay. Okay. There's uh, high fructose corn syrup. Generally, is fifty five percent fructose and forty five percent glucose. The difference with uh, sucrose is that it's 50-50. So we're, we're actually seeing a 10% increase in the fructose level. But the, the problems in the modern diet started before we were producing high fructose corn syrup. The problem in the modern diet is that there's f sugar added to foods, period. Okay. It just so happens that since the 1970s, there's been a shift in, in food production towards high fructose corn syrup um, for a couple of technical reasons and also because it is sweeter and therefore um, they can either get away with using less or they can use the same amount for more sweetness um, at, a, at an economical cost. So ultimately the problem is, is that We've, in, we've increased our sugar intake constantly since, uh, I'm going to say, 1960s. Sugar intake is bad enough in and of itself, but once you look at the metabolic pathway of fructose in the body, then something else is happening here. There's the rub. So the question is, what's bad about fructose? Is that what you're asking? Well, yes. Uh, yeah, that's something that I think we should discuss. Um, I know that, that a lot of people who go on Atkins also tend to have the 
they look at fruit as being kind of evil and that it should be avoided because of the fructose and the high carbohydrate load. Uh, so I think it's worth talking about the penalty of fructose versus the benefit of nutrients so that people get an idea of how we should be able to balance that intake. Okay, well, first of all, Atkins never talked about fructose. Okay. He only talked about carbohydrates, and of course, all sugars are carbohydrates, and all carbohydrates are sugars. So um, he talked about getting your total carbohydrate count down to below 60, and that would cause you to uh, basically go into fat burning mode. Now, today, a lot of people are aware of um, the dangers of fructose, but the question is, why are they dangerous? And why is it only a problem now? And why wasn't it a problem, say, in the 1940s? The answer to the 1940 question is that there has been an increased amount of sugar in our diets since that time. And it peaked, um, I think, around 2008 for Americans and has tapered off slightly since then, but it's still extremely high. Now, what has also gone up in parallel to that is uh, diabetes, for instance. Now, is that directly related to fructose? I can't say if it is or isn't. But what I can tell you is that the way that we metabolize fructose is different than what we metabolize glucose. So is there a penalty to the body for metabolizing fructose? Not in the small amounts that you would consume if you were a uh, paleolithic humanoid picking fruit off of trees. So in the normal course of events, you know, hunting and gathering, grabbing your fruits, eating your tubers and whatever leafy greens or whatever, you just wouldn't intake enough fructose to really have any kind of detrimental effect? No, not at all. So what amount of fructose is going to be a problem? Well, up to a certain level, I think it's about 150 grams of fructose. Your body can cope with that level. There are a number of different metabolic pathways that can take fructose and either convert it into glucose or convert it into fat. But beyond that level, the burden is 100% placed on the liver. And the liver can only turn it into fat through a very specific uh, metabolic pathway, which is very similar to the way that it metabolizes alcohol into fat. So this then leads to, you know, just as you can get uh, alcoholic fatty liver disease from excessive drinking, then you could also get non-alcoholic fatty liver disease from excessive fructose intake. Well, in fact, that's one of the things on the list of metabolic syndrome, is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And um, the cause of that is one thing and one thing alone, and that's high fructose. Now, if you're also a drinking person, well, you know, it's going to be hard to decide whether it's your fatty liver is from the from the alcohol or from the fructose or what ratio, but either way, um, fatty liver disease is not good.
Scary stuff, eh, folks? Now, one of the things that we didn't touch on in our conversation, but it's really important to note, is that while all fructose itself is created equal, in other words, 25 grams of fructose in an apple is the same as 25 grams of fructose in a soda prop, the delivery method is different. And the fact is, is that fructose contained in fruits and vegetables is going to cause far less of a problem for your body than the equivalent amount of fructose in, say, a soda pop or other processed foods. The reason for this is that the fiber in the fruit, the fiber in the vegetables, uh, causes our insulin to raise a lot more slowly. This lowers the glycemic index, and so although the equivalent fructose load is there compared to another product, the fiber makes it a lot more healthy for you to eat. So don't be afraid of having your fruits and vegetables. You need them for proper health. You need the nutrients. You need the fiber. You don't need the sugar, but we have adapted very, very well to having that sugar or fructose hit in order to reap the other benefits. We covered a lot more information than this in the course of our conversation, which lasted about two and a half hours. That said, I think I'm going to end it here. Uh, we've given you a fair bit of information to think over, and next time we're going to delve very deeply into the concept of fats and fatty acids and their implications in our diet, because things, I must say are woefully out of whack. And that's it for now. I wish you a wonderful, wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time. And remember, take responsibility for your well-being and master your life.